welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Um, do you want to do a bit of an intro, a bit about yourself and where you work, etc.? Yeah, perfect. So thanks for having me. Yeah. I'm Dean Bryan. I currently work for UBS, the bank. Uh, I'm CTO for cloud. So that involves kind of looking after our journey towards the cloud, which is, a, as you can imagine, a pretty big program. Yeah. Uh, prior to this current job, I did that for a couple of years. Prior to that, I worked at Microsoft. Um, I led some engineering and developer relations teams there. Um, also was an architect for a while, um, and then also worked at AWS as well. So um, transitioned from vendor side over to uh, to customer side more recently. Yeah, and what's that been like, as in like, the responsibility, I guess the responsibilities, it'd be good to kind of know what that means responsibility wise, I guess, is it quite a large, like the cloud, is it like all clouds, including on-premise stuff? Is it like all encompassing the role or is it? Yeah, so it's probably not that well defined to be honest, right. but um, it, it's kind of all cloud, definitely public cloud, hybrid as well. So yeah. some of the stuff we're doing around and the Azure stack stuff we um, in that space as well. Um, and then also it covers some other kind of cloud services that might not necessarily be considered as like infra cloud. So some of the more kind of SaaS based cloud stuff um, and any kind of other f providers that we're using that aren't the major free kind of cloud providers. So we might be using like a managed messaging service or something. Right. Like okay. So like it could cover, but more in the app devy. Yeah. So consider side, it like, yeah, generally stuff developers use to build products yeah. inside the bank. Yeah. So it's like dev cloud almost rem remit yeah so like yeah so kind of yeah and also developer. developer tooling as well so it covers yeah. um things like our cicd pipeline and the tooling that we use for that and some of the developer tooling um that kind of encompasses uh like how developers develop and developer workstations and that right. kind of stuff as well so it's kind of all encompassing in some ways yeah there's a lot there's a lot that comes under that banner yeah and then um the because you said you worked for microsoft and amazon and then Amazon, were they similar roles or were they kind of different roles? Was it so I kind of did similar at both actually. I right. worked as an architect at both and then I also worked in our developer advocacy team so with our product group and our community like trying to improve our products. Um, so I kind of did that at Amazon and then I did a similar kind of thing at Microsoft as well. So yeah, quite, right. quite similar, yeah. And uh, favorites? <laughs> I just like that. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. All the cloud providers are great. Oh, yeah, they're yeah, great. great. Yeah, yeah, they're all, all, all like, equally as good as yeah, each other. Yeah, they're fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Um, don't want to hinder any future job opportunities. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I guess for, for to come from that background and then to go to UBS, and I suppose most of those, I mean, it's expanded massively, but um, a lot of them were focused on kind of application centricity. So in and around dev space. Yeah. Um, so what's it been like going from the, I guess the purest view of like how someone should yep. consume the vendor to actually then the reality of like being in a customer and but then being responsible for that as well in relation to the cloud? Yeah, so I guess that's two questions, yeah. right? So yeah. I'm very much a tech purist as well. So I'm all about, right, like what's the modern way to build stuff? Like I was an early beta tester for Lambda when I was AWS in 2014. I was big serverless advocate, um, looking at cloud native, like modern app architectures. And I think, to be honest, I think when we work at cloud vendors and people probably attest to this and you realize it more once you've left, you live in a bit of a bubble, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think I was at AWS quite early as well. So we had a small number of services and then you grow with that as well. So there was like 20 services when I joined AWS, right? Yeah. And then as each new one got released, you learn about each new one. Um, 
so that means that you kind of kind of grew with it really quickly and you kind of like oh that's the new thing right this is the way we're going to do things it changes and you'd adopt new things really really quickly and i worked with a lot of customers when i was at the vendor in the vendor Mm -hmm. side and i kind of realized their frustration in some ways as well and i felt that we were often kind of talking always about the happy path right like you go and read any document of course right that's how it works right you go and read docs.aws.com, docs.microsoft.com, and you go and read a product doc to get started guide, and it's like, oh, just turn this on, do this, do that, right? And then customers are like, well, I, well, I can't do that because of X and Y and Z. So I, I really wanted a taste of like, what is this actually like hmm. if I'm actually building it on the customer side? I want to go and live that experience for a bit and see what those pain points are. And um, yeah, boy, have I learned, <laughs> learned some of those, yeah. And is it has it been quite? Um, I guess at this point, the, it's been the clouds matured a fair bit. Um, but I kind of agree. Sorry, like because it's just when, when you say when you go and read like the happy path. There's also like if you try and sometimes if you try and read different docs, you get different flavors of the doc by a vendor too. So yeah. like sometimes when you're trying to do your research, you're like trying to find out like what is the right thing, and you, you yeah. can get like different slightly contradictory things that are like is that the authoritative truth of like how you're supposed to do it but um so i kind of agree on that and like trying to relate it to what you're doing in the customer from the happy path yeah. it's like there is always a delta difference well yeah and yeah. i think like they've got a lot better now but in the early days you'd go through like a getting started guide and it'd be like create an iron policy with star dot thing yeah right and you're like there's, there's no way like but well, i mean i work in a regulated industry there's no way, but there's no way 99 percent of customers can do that right yeah. so and, and they've got a lot better, I think, in that space, all the cloud providers. But, um, yeah, it's just like living those kind of things and understanding and, and trying to do things in a compliant and a secure manner is really, really important. But what we also don't want to do is let that stifle innovation. Mm. So, as I said, like, there's something new that comes out and we want to use that, right? Or somebody wants to use that inside a regulated industry. Historically, they'd be years behind Mm. So one of the things that I think we can do now is try and build frameworks and models and practices so that we can adopt new technology so we can stay up with the curve across mm. all those kind of enterprises, I guess, um, but while being compliant and and secure as well. So that's a constant challenge of using what's new and what helps the business go forward, but making sure that's done in a secure, compliant manner as well. And the... the- roles and responsibility are they stayed the same like have they have you still got say, the same kind of pillars of like accountability and responsibilities of like um i guess a bit of a shift on platform engineering principles but like as in like the well-architected framework for example right, right there's like for cloud vendors if you're like who's really responsible for network changes, for example, could be the platform team, could be a, another team. Same with security policy, could be the security right, team. Right, so kind of like the shared the, responsibility model. I guess. Yeah, like who's doing what in all of this, and is that state? Have you, is it is it platform engineering focused, or is it like more like diversified in terms of like who's got responsibility on bits of the cloud? So I think the model that I like to like kind of advocate for is kind of centralized and decentralized right? right so historically big tech and enterprises was a very central function right? yeah and then everyone saw the whole devops movement and was like right you build it you run it 
over to you, you go build it. And I think historically, um, in a lot of companies, that's caused quite a lot of carnage, to be fair. Mm. People building stuff that don't really understand it, um, lots of duplication of effort across multiple teams. So there's kind of like this middle ground. Maybe there's an extra person that's on that shared responsibility model. I haven't really thought about it like this before, but mm. um, you've kind of got what's responsibility of the vendor, and then you've got the responsibility of like a central platform team, which might be a little bit more, but there's still something that the application teams that are building on top of those internal platforms are are required to do. So I guess there's a slightly different responsibility model with an extra party in it, I guess, rather than just vendor customer, there's the platform team that sits in the middle. Yeah, and I, I guess because it's different, because we, we've like worked with different people and there's different models. There isn't like a one size fits all either. Course, like, yeah. So every org seems to be adopting it slightly differently, but um, some people keep the traditional way of they've all, how, they've all, how they've currently operated, which might be that um, the security teams could, e could even enforce over the platform teams. Right. Right, in theory, so they could put policy in um, and define those policies around everybody holistically across the cloud, no matter who they are. Um, same for networks, they could have like a hub spokey style, everything goes through that and then their authority for like what can talk to what. Um, right, yeah, or, or you may have someone that controls the foundational networks, right? But yeah. then you can manage your own security groups around exactly. your resources or something. So it's always like a sliding Yeah, and it, it makes spectrum. it a bit more yeah. of a gray area because you say like, right, networks, well, some of us are you're responsible for some of the networking but not all of the networking yeah. in that particular scenario so i think that that's an interesting kind of paradigm shift and it's and talk about kind of people as well right like understanding that in an organization where as i said most enterprises have had a central tech function mm. and all of a sudden they're like and literally like historically like maybe 10 plus some a lot of companies a lot less years ago and um, would be like i need a server give me a server i'm gonna give you a jar file you go run my code mm. right that mentality shift is is really really hard um for people to kind of understand oh actually i'm responsible for a bit more um and i think what's really interesting is that we see a lot of people say i'm cloud first right what does that mean yeah Right, we've made a big bold statement, right? Like some, you see this from companies all over the place, right? We're going to go cloud first. We're going to do 100% in the cloud, 50% in the cloud, 60, whatever. They normally set like some kind of goal or whatever. Yeah. Which I don't even sure what that what that means, right? Um, and then they go right, go do it, right? And then they say, oh, we read the DevOps thing from 15 years ago. We're you, you build it, you run it now, right? And then, like, but we don't know how to build and how to run it. We haven't got the skills. For years, we've just given given you a jar file and you run us the server, right? So what's actually more important than putting a stake, like, it's really important to put a stake in the ground, right? I think that's really important from an executive perspective, say, right, this is the travel, travel of direction, this is the North Star where we wanna be. But what's more important is helping people along that journey. You can't just expect that everyone's just gonna get there. Yeah. Right, and if they do, and a, a lot of people probably do, but it's probably going to be a mess. It's going to be all lift and shift, right? Everything's just gone straight in as it is on premises. Um, so helping people understand and learn and evolve and change their mindset and their skills along that journey is really interesting. And then the platform team aspect comes into it. And that's where you kind of help those people on the journey from tooling and platforms and products and, mm. and things like that. Yeah, because I, I guess like some companies, I get if you're pre, if you predate 
which UBS, well, obviously, predates the age of cloud. Right. Been around longer. Yeah, long, longer than yeah. you and I have been alive, right? Exactly. So um, I guess it's got a history of its own of like investments and operations and like, you know, so there's that, that in itself has a lot of baggage, right? So it's going to carry some baggage to it. Um, some things would be really good. Some things might not be so great and might need to be changing. But then you can have like a fintech which is like right i'm starting from like zero born in the cloud yeah, yeah born in the cloud i do i do everything in the new way um and you know in some ways they they kind of get used as a um as almost like an archetype of like um even for large enterprises where they're like well you know these other regulated companies are doing these things if you see what yeah. i mean but you're like yeah no but like they've obviously started like a year ago or something yeah. or like two years ago and, and that's kind of the the one of the thing about you say moving from vendor to customer is like from a, most vendors eyes and like i'm talking kind of generally here because that's not fair to say that because a lot of people that work at vendors have got years of industry experience right so i don't want to that's kind of a throwaway comment but yeah. in the way they look at it is like well this is a brand new service so like this is how you do lambda or this is how you do functions right of course it's easy right um, and it is easy if you're starting from, from scratch. Nothing, yeah. So I think part of the challenge for a lot of enterprises is how do we get to there from where we are now? Because you can't just start the bonfire. You can't just throw a t light a match and throw a torch yeah. at, at what you've got existingly, blow the whole lot up and start from scratch. That would be lovely, wouldn't it, if we could all just like... <laughs> yeah, just wipe just, the slates clean. Wipe the slates yeah. clean and start again. Um, so it's getting the right balance between that. And I think in some instances you can, you can do that. So... Um, if you look at like developer tooling, moving away slightly from kind of cloud infrastructure, if you look at developer tooling, I think you could go and build a brand new, fresh CI/CD mm. pipeline. Um, you've got GitOps-based deployment process, all these kind of like modern way of doing things, but you set clear, in, clear entry criteria, right? Mm. So the way I like to say this is the ticket to the show is pretty expensive, but man, this show is good. Right. Yeah. And so you've got to have fully automated test coverage. You've got to have infrastructure as code for deployments. Right. Then you can come along. You can join this new pipeline. So that will, that's kind of a way of doing things fresh and incentivizing people. Like, oh, you can deploy like automatically. All the security checks are done. Right. There may be some manual stuff in there from early on, but it's like way quicker than the traditional way of doing it. It's like a carrot kind of dangling yeah. to incentivize people to build that entry criteria. Um, and a lot of greenfield applications would onboard to that. And then over time, maybe as stuff gets refactored and whatnot, it could onboard onto that. So there's kind of ways that you can mm. introduce some of that new way of thinking. Um, but the way I like to think about it as well is that don't leave the other people completely behind. So I'll give you an example. So if I'm going to do some static security testing as part of my pipeline, for example, right? That will be a component of the fully automated, brand new, fresh, shiny thing that gets you deployed to production in five minutes, right? Whatever, right? Um, but also, we'll build that in an extensible way so that you can still use that component mm -hmm. in the old world if you want to. And you might not need all of the entry criteria, but you might need a smaller one for that. And then that brings people along the journey so they can start building the entry criteria and start using those components. They're like, actually, we'll flip over to the new thing in our next release or whatever. It might take time, but at least you're bringing them to my earlier point, you're bringing them on the journey with you rather than leaving everybody behind. Yeah. Um, so where you can, it's not always possible, but try and build things in an extensible way um, so that they can be pluggable and people can kind of kind of incrementally come along on the journey if they're not quite ready yet. 
Yeah, I guess something is like the scale of a place, like any large enterprise, and UBS just a example of one. But anything at such vast scale is quite um, like the nature of the complexity of it is is quite hard on like whether like all the life cycle of all the decisions that you're kind of making over time. Yeah, like they're all like decisions on a spectrum that maybe some are adopting at different points in time yep. as you're kind of going on a journey even maybe as, as, as a central team that's, right. that's kind of sharing the services back which then makes it very different because of just because of that sheer vast nature of the scale of like how many shapes of things over time do you kind of have to manage and how do you align those and do you need to and does it make sense to, or do you leave them alone? And do they, do you know what I mean? It's quite, com it's very complicated, really. Yeah, and there's so many dimensions. And like you say, not only just, I guess it falls under that kind of shapes of things, right? There's so many different requirements and people and decision points and existing process. And you can't just ignore the existing process because yeah. a lot of that is kind of carved in stone and been sh like shared with, um, like it's understood, right? It's the way that things are done, right? And I'm not opposed to challenging the status quo. I think we should always challenge the status quo, but it takes time to change these things. And there's yeah. often not just multiple, there's often multiple stakeholders in order to make that kind of thing happen in any big company, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, the shape of things is um, is very different at different times. And some people are fully ready to say, right, got it, I guess, bit of a transition, I guess, to platform engineering, right? Some people are fully ready to go and, adopt the cloud right they want to understand it they know terraform arm bicep cloud formation inside out right just give me the apis right i want to go and build this stuff myself and there's other people that are still like i don't understand it but i'm going to take i'm going to try it and there's other people that are there's some developers that don't want to they don't want to understand yeah, it yeah. um i'm a developer i write really great application code you could be the best developer in the world i'm not interested in writing a, a bicep or an arm or cdk or whatever it is thing to define my infrastructure declaratively. Um, how do we build solutions for all of those kind of personas along that spectrum as well? Yeah, that's hard. And also some might want to learn it until they realize how dull it is. And then they're going to be like, oh yeah, this is well, really- well, Everybody wants to learn Kubernetes, right? I call it resume driven. Yeah, right? but it is quite, I mean, no offense to the industry, by the way, <laughs> but it is a little bit boring because a lot of it is API configuration, essentially. Yeah, it's YAML files, right? It's like, YAML, it's YAML <laughs> files and Terraform. And it is a bit like, I suppose if you if it is all new, there might be something exciting about it because you are learning it. But once the novelty is wore off, you're probably going to be like, yeah, I'm just going to go back to Devin. Do you know what? Yeah, <laughs> like, right, lines yeah, and lines exactly. of YAML or JSON. I'm right? just going to go back to writing some actual code. Um, so like whether it'll stick will be a different question, whether, the, whether they'll stick at wanting to do it yeah, exactly. It's like another question. So I think one, yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll actually want to do that long term, right? Yeah. So I think you can provide as a, like from a platform perspective, you can provide different solutions. And for the people that really want to get into the nuts and bolts of things, then you can let them get on with that, right? Yeah. Just let them, like, here you go. Everyone gets access to the API anyway. Or you can kind of bring them on the journey as well, right? And this is where we look at topics like inner source, right? And saying, right, okay, will you help us build the platform right you can help contribute back why don't you create a terraform module and we'll store it in our in our registry right and mm. um the product owner should ultimately be responsible for maintaining that but they can they can have contributors to their to their thing from the business because they'll often be like talking back about the innovation thing like 
not stifling innovation, um, but being compliant, there's a big difference between making something available within an enterprise and making something that's usable within an enterprise. Now, in an ideal world, we would do both at the same time. Yeah. So we would say, we're not going to make this product. I don't know, let's pick something out of the air. S3, right? We're not going to make this product available inside our business um, until it's met all the compliance controls. That's a non-negotiable anyway, yeah. right? Um, but also, you've got to have well-documented CloudFormation templates. You've got to have, uh, you've got to manage it kind of like a product, right? You've got good documentation, not only how to deploy it, because obviously, being able to deploy something inside a regulated business is very different to going to the the public docs and trying to deploy it. There's lots yeah, of yeah. policy and things like that that are in place. Not policy like written policy, but like policy is code, like Azure policy or like whatever. Enforced policy. Enforced policy. Yeah. You'll, you'll try and deploy the template that comes off of the GitHub, right? It just doesn't <laughs> work. So, so it'd be great if we could say, you're, we're not going to make S3 available inside the business until um, it's completely usable. We've got it well documented exactly how to use it inside our business. It meets all our controls. We've got a template that you deploy. Ideally, we've got some sort of IDP, an internal developer portal where someone can deploy the template. Someone else just wants to click a button, right? There's all these, we, we cater for all that spectrum of people yeah. that I just spoke about. Ideal world, right? When you live in my world now, you don't live in the ideal world, right? <laughs> yeah. And there's probably business demand for stuff. Um, people, people want to use stuff straight away and there's early adopters. And back to my original point, you don't want to stifle that innovation, right? If people want to start using something that's new, I mean, S3 isn't new, probably a bad example, but you get my point. Um, if people want to start using something new, um, we really need to make that available. We need to make it available quickly. So the compliance thing is, n is non-negotiable, Yeah. right? So that's making something available. Now, how do we make it usable? Yeah. Right? So maybe a model that could be proposed is that you make it available um, and then the early adopters can use it. But then back to the inner source thing, we get them to contribute back. And as they start using it, they start contributing and building artifacts and thing. And then you maybe set a timeline and say, well, in six months after being available, you need to be usable. Yeah. Um, and a word that I think a guy that I work with made up, he called it adoptability. Yeah. Right. How adoptable is, is a particular service? Um, because unfortunately in regulated industries, we, Nine times out of ten, can't just use something off the shelf, right? Yeah. Um, there has to be. I wouldn't say we can't use something off the shelf. You can use a lot of stuff off the shelf, but you just need to make sure it that it needs to align to what. Yeah. yeah, it needs to align yeah. to your standards. Yeah, and if every application team in an enterprise is manually trying to align that to the standards, that's just bad, isn't it? Like, yeah, they don't yeah. have to explain that. <laughs> that's just. So bad. is it then like commodity? Because like, I suppose you got like you've got like usability, which is. Um, like availability is like it's there usability commodity i suppose in some ways means that it's like it's so general purpose in its thought and its intention that like almost anybody could use it i suppose that's how i look at like right, commodity yeah. right it's like um but then there's like how the the assumptions you're making on that commodity on say the other person because if you're because that's the bit that's hard isn't it it's like i've now in under the guise of commodity, it's like, well, what's what's my assumption on the individual's knowledge of how commoditized this thing truly is? Because if right. you need to spend a couple of days like reading through all the docs and then understanding what it does, is that commodity or not? Or um, is it only suitable for certain people with certain experience? Yeah. You know, and, and that poses another question as well around like how experienced do you want 
people to be. Yeah. Right. In you could have a platform team or platform products or whatever term you want to use that builds these internal products in a way that you don't have to understand the product at all. You mm. click a button, you get it, right? You want some storage, you want some compute, right? You click a button, you get it. Um, you could even go a bit further and say, we're going to build a fully managed Kubernetes platform. You just chuck us a container image. We'll run it for you. We'll scale it It'll for you. We'll do everything. Yeah. We'll do everything for you, right? And then that's an interesting paradigm because how do you... Like, what about all those skills you've got, right? What about all that knowledge you've got inside the application team? Like, like I say, there's some people that really... Yeah. that really understand it and I also think I'm I'm quite a strong believer in the fact that you should understand what you're building as well yeah, yeah, um, so as someone who's been an architect for a long time if you're going to build an application that's got some kind of queue some asynchronous workflow you've got I don't know some compute that's going on a storage account a database you should probably understand what those things do to some sort of mm. <laughs> to some sort of level right because you're going to have to operate it you're going to have to look after it in the um, so I don't necessarily sit in that camp where we should just make things so easy. You just it just magically appears for you and it all happens. Um, and I also think that most application developers, though, they don't want to write the infrastructure as code, they don't want to understand it and go through like the AWS or Azure or GCP docs and pick out all the components. They all still want to kind of understand what they're doing. They still want to architect their own yeah, solution, yeah. right? So, so it's kind of finding that middle ground where. The key thing for me is that if every application team that's using your product is doing the same thing, then you should bundle it into the product. Mm. So if everybody is, um, yeah, if everybody is trying to work out how to do a customer managed key, right, for your product, just bake it in, like yeah. bundle the key vault with it or whatever, or link, or put a parameter where they put the URI of their key vault in, right, and it just, and it it handles that bit for them because everyone's gonna have to work that out. Um, if they're all using web apps and they're all having to go and get certificates and install certificates, right? Just give them an option where they can just deploy in the certificates there. They still understand what web apps is and how it works and yeah. they've got the parameters. Um, so I think that's where you make that decision around whether to bundle something into a product, an internal product, or whether to to not. Yeah, I think it. it, it, it I think the design principle for platform engineering is a bit that's kind of key because I. I I don't think there's that many shapes of so many things, right? A database can only be configured in so many ways. And there's yeah. definitely going to be like an 80-20 rule on that, right? 80% of the parameters of this, yeah. like a dev just doesn't need to really worry about. And probably 20% maybe they do. And so there is a balance probably act of like, what is, what are commoditized sets of things for a service and then what are the things that you just need to give us input on because yeah. they are in your area yeah so it's uh, kind of like i think i was looking at crossplane the other day right yeah and, similar like and they have like the above the api and below the api yeah, parameters exactly. right so the below the api parameters what we don't even need to expose them to developers right? yeah but the, the above the api parameters may be a bit more important yeah. and you can probably take that one step further as well around Talking about we're talking about services, but what about patterns? Mm. Right? I can probably imagine that although people will probably argue with you or I left, right, and centre, that eighty percent of applications in most organisations could be functioned by a I don't know a, a web app with a Postgres database and a storage yeah. account, right? Yeah. <laughs> like like probably 80, 70, 80 percent of applications, right? That um, maybe some API management in front of it or something like that, right? But the point is that we can actually extrapolate that a bit further and start once you've built these foundational products 
do we start looking at patterns and how people use those products in um, like compositions, right? Like composition of those products together. Yeah, yeah, because choice brings complexity. I think there's like a balance, isn't it? Choice brings complexity. Doesn't mean it's wrong necessarily, but and then no choice brings like no innovation as well to a point. Yeah, and I, th I so think you're in, in a bit of a bind of like, what's the right level of choice? What's the right level of innovation? Yeah, Where so people would use the word opinionated. Yeah, here, right. Like, how opinionated do we want to be? Right. So, some organisation might say. And there's some things where I think it's quite good to be opinionated. So, um, but the term I prefer to use rather than opinionated is just, it's not even a term, right? Just giving people good options, right? Yeah. So you want to deploy something inside your organization. Well, there's a really good, easy way to do it with Terraform, right? And it goes through the pipeline. It's all GitOps, right? And oh, even one step further, you want to deploy a web app in our organization? Cool, here's a web app, a database, template, all done via Terraform, yeah. right? That's a really good option for you. If you decide that you don't want to use that good option and you want to use PowerShell and use the native Azure API or whatever you want to, however you want to do it, go fill your boots. But you're going to have to meet all those kind of standards that are already baked into the product. So I actually think the goal of an internal product team should be make your product so good that yeah. why on earth would anybody use want to do it want to use anything else yeah, right? yeah. Um, just to make their life so easy right and similar to any product really right like listen to your customers right make make their yeah. life easier yeah I agree with that massively to be fair like if you can give people the option they'll take the easiest option most people will take the friction most frictionless route most of the time it just oh so long as those terraform modules are good by the way because if well then you get into the product management conversation yeah. right around how do you maintain that like, what are the roles of an internal product owner right? yeah. what is that role what are they actually responsible for because there's a mentality around if people haven't got an option right they have to use web apps to run an application inside your organization then they'll have to use it whether it's good or bad and they'll yeah. just fumble their way through it and it'll be really really difficult so it should really be so give, having options isn't such a bad thing so this kind of the opinionated point as well right maybe you don't have 10 database options but you have two or three right mm. and then you open up a little market right <laughs> you've almost got like this internal competitive market and we're like well well I'm going to use Postgres for my app because the product team that built that have made it so easy for me. The guys that built Azure SQL haven't done as good a job or whatever, right? And it's yeah. painful. I've got to jump through a bunch of hoops. Um, I think that kind of, it's not necessarily competition, but when you talk about product ownership, right? And owning a product, I think that's healthy. Yeah. Because um, otherwise, if everybody has to use your product, how are you incentivized to to make it any good? Yeah. And how, how do you do the... Um like shared service -y type stuff. So like systems that um, need to connect into other systems and all that stuff. Are they like, is that provided as a service or does it, would you have to take responsibility for that and speak to the other product owner that owns that system, if you see what I mean, and then be like, it's between me and the other service team and then we've got to broker that and deal with it ourselves or does it come centrally because it's like a central thing that's taking responsibility for it. Yeah, I, I think the answer probably depends, right? But yeah, yeah and there's obviously, like you're talking a bit about dependencies between different services right there as well. I yeah, or patterns, because some ways like you could have like hub, hub spokey shenanigans obviously in the cloud right. and and, um, and it could be that you provide that as a capability and you kind of wire it up, 
right? Yeah. So you could be like, oh, we give you all the VNets or the VPCs, right, and they're yeah. all wired up. You don't need to worry about it. And you just deploy your stuff in it. Um, or it could be that you just like, we don't do that actually. We just do generic thing. If you want to talk, if that app depends on that app or any other app, then you need to kind of like speak between the teams and then kind of work it out yourselves. Yeah, um, I think, so I guess two things there. One is that I think building good landing zones for people is is useful. Yeah. So um, I don't think in a big enterprise giving someone an empty uh, AWS account or Azure subscription not is, themselves out with a bit is, of policy is a great yeah. idea. <laughs> well, well you, you're going to put all the policy on, then they're going to go through the same pain again. Right? All right, I need yeah. to deploy VNet. Oh, I can't because of this. And then, and then, so I think some maybe VNet's different, but like creating that foundational kind of plumbing. I yeah. guess it's probably something that should be provided, but again, it should be like a product. Oh, I need a an Azure subscription. Yeah, right. Go to the product page. This is how you get an Azure subscription, right? Might be in the IDP. Click a button, get yourself a subscription, right? Maybe yeah. I want to do that myself via some API call because I want to automate it into my pipeline. That give people options and interfaces to do it, but um, I think some of that foundational plumbing is kind of that's like undifferentiated heavy lifting, right? If everyone, if every subscription looks the same, then again, back to the duplication thing, like just, just do yeah, it for just them. Yeah, just do it right? for yeah. them. Yeah, yeah, there's no value in it. Yeah. So uh, the, the people side then of like, um, not necessarily UBS specifically, but like any large enterprise, has that been like difficult to, I guess if you're trying to set strategy and define these things, the more people there are, the more subjectivity there's gonna be. Um, and then also like the more diversification of like like what you've got to manage obviously because yeah. um, so has that been quite different to being like vendor wise where you're kind of going into like you're going into customers who like really want you in as well for a start right, right? because they're like struggling or in pain of like how they're going to adopt it so um, there's already an open door for like please help me open door a little bit a lot of the time Whereas I guess it's slightly different when you're trying to look over, like overarching across all yeah. of this to be like, right, okay, some of this is mad. Like what's going on here? Like we need to rally everybody and then kind of get things defined. And yeah, I, I think definitely as well in like kind of function that I sit in as well, like some of the value that I bring is that I'm not just looking at a specific kind of stream or crew, right? In like yeah. a delivery crew, I'm trying to look across the thing. So it often involves or in, like most of the things that I'm involved in impact lots of different people and yeah. it requires lots of people. So yeah, it's definitely a bit of a change, I think, in terms of getting that done. You get a, you get a taste of that on the vendor side from, from how some of the product teams operate where they're delivering, right? Some yeah. stuff. Um, but yeah, I think the people thing is a challenge, getting people on board. Um, I mean, I worked in developer relations and advocacy, right? So actually I think some of those skills that I got from like, advocating for our developers, evangelizing, being able to kind of share and propose a kind of idea to the, to the business and to different stakeholders, actually invaluable. I think a lot of enterprises especially when adopting cloud early, you almost need that kind of cloud evangelist, right? And, mm. and it, maybe it's not a cloud evangelist, maybe next week it becomes a DevSecOps evangelist, right? To try and get everybody on board or whatever, whatever wherever you are on that kind of adoption journey. But I think it's often the neglected part actually of um, large organizations is that internal kind of evangelism, advocacy kind of role to mm. kind of just bring people on the journey right, and bring them on board and share like this is like we should be doing like, how do we do compute selection 
right? Mm. Everyone, like everyone who's from an on-premise environment, she's going to default to VMs, right? It's what they know. So how do we educate people and how do we bring their mindsets? Actually, why don't we look at event-driven architectures? Yeah. Why don't we see if we could do something a bit more modern in this space? Um, how do we how do we get there? And that is some of that actually is like some of those skills around like the advocacy and the evangelism part of my background actually yeah, yeah. comes in quite useful there as well. Yeah, I guess collaboration, isn't it? In some yeah. ways, it's like pure collaboration evangelism because you're there to work out what they're trying to do and then collaborate on like trying to find the right outcome rather than being really pres- pre- too prescriptive on like just use this actually don't even really get a choice like we're not even going to try and solve it here's just what you've got to go and use yeah exactly um, but, but i definitely think people is a big i, I mean it's probably like 60 70 percent of what in this kind of role what, yeah. what what i do right like the technology is really important we need to make sure we make the right technology choices set the right direction um but to do that a lot of it is dealing with people right and bringing yeah. the journey with us and what about then the, the, the upskilling does do people do that on their own or is it like investment do you have to invest in people because i think that's a little bit what the evangelism is a little is is a lot it's of like education i guess pure yeah. education isn't it because people fear anything they can't wrap their head around or understand the natural instinct is to like kind of reject it a yeah. little bit if it takes too much mental thought um and it's too hard or it sounds um well there's cynicism when you yeah. don't understand something in, yeah in and truth. there's also like an element of fear in there as yeah. well people right um so different personas dealing again dealing with people different people some people are like right i need to learn this i'm going to jump on it i really need to understand because i need to move forward and other people are like no you're wrong we need to do it this way right? yeah We've stick to what they know way, yeah. kind of thing um so again it's kind of managing people and personas but it's education is like is massive right bringing people along that journey similarly to what i said like put the stake in the ground we're going to go 100 percent or whatever percentage of any organization may declare in the public cloud right um we're going to have x percentage of automated releases right i think i saw a statistic someone told me today actually that have you heard this that every developer writes a line of production code in their first day right, mm. so that's like a goal that they have isn't right it? You should be able to commit to production within your first day working at the company, right? Which I thought was like that's pretty interesting. Oh, that's thing. why it's always going down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the um, but the the point there is around how do we get people to that point where they can do things more efficiently? And if we just say, oh, I'm going to do this, right? People will try and do that because senior leadership have said, yeah, we need to do that. So everyone's like, right, oh crap, we need to do that thing, but they don't know how. Right, so the education piece I think is really, really important and bringing people on the journey. So not only like upskilling through industry kind of qualifications and certifications, but how to work inside the constraints of your specific organization as well and internal mm-hmm. skills. How do you develop for the cloud? How do you consume our products, um, our internal products, right? How is it built? Like every single business that I've ever worked with has a different way that they structure their accounts or subscriptions or their tenants or their they have a different resource group for each environment or we have a different subscription for each environment or a different management group or a different tenant like everyone does it differently and oh, yeah. everyone will argue for hours over what one is the right way to do it and one day a vendor like a few years ago then vendors were telling you to do it one way and then now the guidance has, has yeah. changed and um, so how do we so not just industry level upskilling but also how you do things inside your business Mm. so how can we get those developers and how can we get those engineers up to speed 
um, in, our, in our environment with how things are set up here as quickly as possible. So yeah, never underestimate content creation, good documentation. Mm. No one likes writing documentation, right? But like, unfortunately it's, 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 necessary, it's, it's yeah. super important, yeah. And does that then, do people that are in that team then, are those skills you, like do you hire technical ability and then do you have like specific people that will just do dev advocacy a bit like you would externally or do you try and hire like a multi-blended person that's like tries to cover the tech knowledge and the yeah so I not not specifically kind of as individual roles but mm. I think having those champions um, is kind of something that we would look for in kind of somebody's kind of personality or character right yeah and um and encourage that behavior as well. Yeah. yeah so you then you'd you'd look for it, but then because it's hard. I mean, in our space, I'm just kind of saying like the dev advocacy thing is hard because it means you've got an interest in people, education, and the tech. Yeah. I suppose and the outcome really. Um, so I wasn't sure whether you kind of just hire people that are really good at that. And you just yeah, kind of I put think them in sometimes the you're kind of looking for a unicorn as well, right? Yeah, like exactly. Someone that can like be an engineer but do that and. We're, we're quite lucky and I think a lot of organisations have this like at UBS we have a distinguished engineer programme where right. um, we actually have a certified engineer programme where people can become they go through a kind of set number of modules to become a, different levels of certified engineer and then we have like a panel based distinguished engineer what these are these are your own definitions it's, it's or internal, like industry no it's an right. internal thing that we do um, and we publish publicly and we really kind of celebrate these people um, and of course, this, we get distinguished engineers. They have to do a good job in their day job, but part of the criteria for becoming a distinguished engineer is um, some of that extracurricular kind of activity as well, right? Sharing their knowledge, the, having that wider impact, building reusable components and tooling and all that kind of stuff, um, and working beyond their kind of day job as well. So we, we do kind of celebrate that kind of behaviour via these various programmes as well. And that's what the distinguished engineer is like a course. It's the, so certified engineer is more like a course. Distinguished yeah. engineer is like a nomination panel type thing. Oh, so, so people, you've got to be like, people have to see you as distinguished, yes. basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and, and there's a kind of review process. And then above that, we actually have a technical fellow programme as well. So there's a, a very small number of technical fellows. Um, right. And um, these are kind of our most esteemed engineers right in the in the business and it's a small number of distinguished engineers we we publish publicly who they are every year it's like oh, really? there's not many that um there's not many that make the bar right and um it's a really high accolade that people really really appreciate do they have responsibilities then yes like practicing leads type yeah so, thing, so they do their day job right it's not a job right yeah, so they yeah. do their day job right but as a distinguished engineer and being part of that community they're often given extra initiatives that they would lead as that kind of distinguished engineer community like problems so like here's a, here's a thing yeah so like some kind of problems like industry big wide problems we might be looking at some kind of new kind of technology or some kind of changes in the industry and we'll say oh, why don't we get the distinguished engineers to have a look at it and see if they can come up with some kind of thing and um, get some great minds together to do that kind of thing oh that's really cool I didn't, yeah. I didn't realise that yeah so what does it take to be a distinguished engineer basically <laughs> I'm joking yeah. like, what does it take it's like what's the cheat sheet yeah, well, I think, yeah, I, I think there's some criteria that we, we publish internally, right? So people, it's not just a shot in the dark, right? But, yeah. um, but Do you have to be developer-focused? Is it like so, engineering so, on so, the developers? So most of them are engineers, right? Because they're distinguished engineers. But we have architects as well, right? Um, infrastructure guys and girls that are... But hands-on uh, people. As well, generally hands-on yeah. people, yeah, that kind of really kind of deep in the technology, yeah. Oh, that's kind of interesting. And then the, the platform, because you mentioned then about platform capabilities and like, build it run it mentality which i think he was kind of saying on if you if you don't adopt 
something that we think is like high value and easy then you kind of you're kind of going to go and you're you could potentially like you have to go and solve it another way because that's the way you want to solve it but then if you do solve it the way you want to solve it you're responsible for it yeah um to then encourage people to um i guess use and contribute to things as in make something better rather than diversify yeah exactly so yeah again it goes back to that kind of inner source kind of conversation around yeah actually rather than going and duplicating the effort shadow yeah. it over there right trying yeah. to do something that how can you actually help contribute back towards the, the real thing and that goes back again to owning products having a cust being customer obsessed or about your your mentality and saying okay well this is what my customers want yeah like I, I can try and build it but why don't we work together and like you can help me build it and if you've got the cycles and the timer obviously that's not always possible yeah and do the PL I mean, I don't know how. I mean, different orgs are set up in different ways. So it's not. But then I think, like, if the P and L, as in, like, you know, they've got they've got a budget. Yeah, I just I'm a big believer. I think in this because the thing that kind of sometimes frustrates me a bit with te with tech is the the because it's so explosive on roles, um, that like you couldn't have a single team, like you couldn't have a product line with the amount of roles it would take in a large enterprise to cover all of the things that would be needed to have been done because it means your team size right you'd be duplicating it many times over and like you were saying there'd be like a massive common strip yeah like of like re repeatability of like stuff that should have been commoditized or, or generalized but at the same so to budget appropriately i think if you can get them to find define a budget then using something else means it's not cost effective to do it in-house if you see what i mean because you're like i'm gonna have to hire two people there to do this plus then we've got supportability of it yeah. afterwards so the cost of that like we need to factor the cost in of like moving away from some capabilities that somebody's yeah. already offered but if it's not costed in and they're not like worried about that um then maybe they will still do it anyway because yeah. it's somebody's idea. It makes me think about the conversation about um, getting off the cloud with DHH. There. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a but similar kind of paradigm, isn't it? It is right? a similar paradigm, and I think if you can, yeah, if you can get off, which sometimes is true, because if you can, if you can financially justify decisions well, and it's got business results in terms of like financials, or you're confining things with, I mean, money is obviously the 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 key thing in businesses, obviously. So yeah. most I, things. Are done I, I don't comment as a person from UBS here, but I comment generally to say that. Um, if people want to find a way to financially justify doing something, they'll, they'll find a way to yeah, financially yeah, justify true. doing something, right? And you see that across the industry and the community. Some of the recent activities are like, the like, so if you want to justify something, people will always like, I always love metrics, right? Because I'm quite a big data person and I always think that it's a um, complete side point here, but it's always quite funny how you can massage a metric to look like what it, I love like, there's some of these metrics I see and, my son's going off to secondary school at the moment, right? So you're seeing all like the uh, metrics for the school results, yeah. right? And it's like, this is a marketeer's dream, right? The way that yeah. you can pitch these metrics is like three different dimensionals. You can make a rubbish school look great and you can also make a great, great school, school look rubbish, rubbish yeah. right? The way you kind of think. Um, so, and I, I think it's similar, right? In the same way that if people really want to do something, yeah, go rogue, they'll, they'll do it, right? Or they'll try their best to do it. Um, and I also think that in all large enterprises, you pick your battles right mm. like if something's absolutely ridiculous of course you absolutely shut it down and you say we shouldn't be doing that right you, you ring the alarm bells right but on the same note 
back to my point around making the product so good that why would they use anything else? Like focus on that, right? Yeah, because yeah, make it good. If yeah. you make the product so good, then they wouldn't be doing that in the first place. So maybe you need to look a little bit internally sometimes around like, oh, why are they doing that, right? Is my, is my product not that, is it not that good? Yeah. Right? Um, as opposed to, um, and then like, like you suggested, right? Bring them on the journey as well, right? Like catch, try and catch that as early on as possible. Say, wait, stop. Yeah. Stop what you're doing. Like, let's do it together. Right, let's make this better ourselves. Um, and then if they really, really want to do it, well, as I said, they're probably going to do it. Yeah, it's a budget holder though, because I sometimes think that the budget, the person that can then see the, like, if you can find something and someone can contrast something. So if you're saying like, normally, like an average service costs us like, I don't know, so like 500K to deliver per year, like to deliver and then maybe like an additional 100K to run or 200K to run or whatever it would be. Um, then, if that's kind of roughly quantifiable of like, you kind of like, it's still estimate because nothing's yeah. one size fits all, but then there's a disconnect between the investment of the money from one person and the value of the return, Yeah. right? And the decisions that get made between the money and the return of the value, right? Because the decisions that are getting made from that point on are not quantifiable by the person that may be is like the money holder, right? Right. So you're like, I can't really tell. Like, it's a bit like me with builders. Like, I don't know anything about certain things. So I have a high probability of like, not really knowing whether it was good or bad, like in the end, yeah. other than like, did it work? <laughs> I mean, or not. But you need to do enough quotes, I guess, to get a sense of, value yeah for what you're asking for right and and i think if you can't do that then how do you know how does somebody know the value of something if you can't quantify the effort or everything else so that's how i kind of look at it and tech gets tech's got a bit of a bad rep of like how easy it is to like you know make it make money disappear but then obscure the yeah. of what yeah. it took so you know i guess a kind of analogy i'm thinking of is like it's like saying you've got perfectly great lawn right yeah and someone can come and cut your grass for five pound yeah. week right for the next 10 years and it will look immaculate right or you can drop 50 grand on some wonderful artificial grass right yeah well like so it's not always the the end result what i'm saying isn't always the same thing yeah right so always. so you might end up with you're gonna have lovely grass either way one's gonna be fake one's gonna be real <laughs> yeah but in 10 years you're gonna have to redo either true right so the so i guess so it's not always apples for apples in terms of like and that's what makes it difficult for the people that are like you say, you don't understand the building industry. So you don't know really what your what what value is, right? Yeah. So yeah, you can get the multiple quotes, but then you then ask them like, well, is artificial grass better than real grass or whatever, right? And then and then so having people that understand that at the table when those yeah, decisions true. are made is really, really crucial in big companies. So and nobody likes policemen or governance. Governance. Somebody said to me the other day, I think it was a Ronald Reagan quote that said, the scariest nine words in the world are, hi, I'm from the government and I've come to help you. Right? <laughs> right. So like no one wants to be, to be the policeman or a policewoman, right? But the but there has to be some element of kind of oversight, I guess is a better term for it, right? Where yeah. there's, so those decisions aren't just being made by people that don't understand building, right? But you go and get your mate who's, who's retired builder who's been a builder for 30 years or like you know who understands the industry and can come and say that's not a good decision Josh. you should go with that one right because yeah. otherwise people will make the wrong 
yeah because it won't know any different yeah yeah. Understand, yeah yeah that's fair so that's another way to look at it is that yeah the guidance on the decision making is probably the bit yeah um but yeah i suppose though it's got to be but i don't know maybe it's me and maybe i've got a bit of an agenda on it where i just sometimes feel no, it's i, I quite, see what you mean as well around like it's quite easy for things it's yeah it's one of the one of the spaces where um it's a must-have right technology is a must-have you can't survive as a business without it it's highly complicated in some ways and it can be very simple in other ways depending on kind of what it is but when it gets into like engineering development and business outcomes and things like that there's a huge amount of dependencies to on the execution and then money can just like literally kind of vanish right <laughs> and then and then you might not really have you look at what's produced you're thinking that seems like quite a lot for like what i've got you know in yeah. the end and you can't always kind of make sense of it um so i just think like I don't know, one thing I've never seen really in any org I've ever worked for, or even now to present day, is anyone publishing as a product line the cost that it took to deliver, like publicly to everybody, and like how much it's costing them to run, and like and all of the detail about it that's like just there. Yeah, but well it's also looking at it up front as well, right? Yeah. One of the pillars of the Well Architects framework is cost, right? Yeah. How much true. is this thing gonna cost? How much is it gonna cost? How many yeah. people actually yeah, honestly, do that right. It's and then one of those weird things. Like, how many times why. have, like, in various roles over various years, right, have people said, "What you mean? I actually have to tell you how much I'm going to spend on this thing, right? You know, like we we need this. Well, yeah, like this stuff costs, especially in the cloud. I think it's quite funny actually. Years ago, I was working with a customer, and they said, um, "We just want everyone to start using the cloud. Right? We just want everyone to start using the cloud." It was an AWS customer, and um, so we just gonna let everyone use it organically. I was like, sure, we don't want to put any guardrails in or anything like that. No, no, because otherwise they won't use it. We just want them to use it. Next thing you know, you've got 300 grand a month um, uh, cloud bill. And they're like, I don't know who's using the cloud, who's <laughs> thingy. We need to stop putting some guardrails in, guys. And we're like, but I mean, to be fair, like they got the adoption and everyone yeah. in the business. So, I mean, like weigh that up from an ROI perspective. But another thing with the cloud is that, and from a cost perspective, um, you don't really know what you're going into. I mean, there's cost calculators and things like that, but whoever turns anything off as well right in the yeah. cloud so I think cost can just become and the dimensions of growth. the cost are mental yeah. sometimes like all the different like things and, and the so whole FinOps like FinOps is a really popular thing yeah. like at the moment it seems the last couple of years seems to have really kind of drove it's like more of an in, as an engineering practice and I think that's only good for the business actually that people yeah, are actually true. not just looking at cloud cost dashboards but actually trying to engineer um, some cost saving stuff into the the entire process really. yeah if it's public i'd like love it i don't know maybe like a bit of a i reckon if someone was to like force it is if you're like an exec and you're like right you all have to publicize exactly how much you've spent per service and what like, your run costs to everyone and everyone could go and look i bet everyone would be like oh my god have you seen how much x is like costing things like that but it might get the right behaviors of like yeah, I, saw, well, I saw this today actually um funnily enough i was looking at um Someone sent me the tweet of Elon Musk offering a billion dollars to Wikipedia to rename itself, right? Oh, I really? I won't, I, won't, I won't say what he wanted them to rename it to, right? <laughs> right. Um, but he was kind of making a bit of... I, I, the way I understood it was he was making a bit of a dig that they're always asking for money, right? Yeah. Um, rightly so. Like, it's cost a fortune to run. And so I think the figure was, and I could be wrong here, so whoever's listening to this, go and check it out. I think yeah. it was of the money that they called as operating costs, $66 million a year was to, to host the website. Wow. So publicly, people are like, how can it cost $66 billion a year to run Wikipedia? Um, 
And then you start thinking about it and other people are arguing saying, have you ever tried to run a website, the scale of Wikipedia, that's like the top 10 most yeah, visited yeah. sites in the world? Like, I don't, have a, like, I don't have a clue how much it costs to run that website. But it's interesting that now that figure's public, everyone's like, wow, how are they spending 66 million? But then actually when you sit back and think about it, you think, yeah, they probably could spend 66 yeah, million yeah. Quid a year running yeah, this thing, Yeah, you probably right? could, yeah. yeah. And then you probably got um, other people saying, yeah, chuck it in your own data centre. <laughs> yeah. servers, right? Well, to be fair, I mean, at that scale, maybe, maybe it would maybe be cheaper. The right way to, maybe they do already do that. Yeah, maybe yeah. it's not in the cloud. I'm not even sure if they're in the cloud, right? But yeah. um, but it was just interesting that now that figure's public, like to your point, people are like, oh, wow. And then maybe people at Wikipedia will start thinking, maybe we should have a look at Yeah, maybe this, we need right? to have a look yeah. at But I think that's what makes it good. I think it's healthy to be transparent but cost is the thing no one wants to be that transparent on, generally speaking, because I think... Publicly. Yeah. yeah, publicly. But even internally, I think, internal public, I think it's quite a healthy... It gives, and it's not only the cost of the service, right? Because I could put a dashboard out that says, my service cost me three million a year, your service costs four million a yeah. year. Your service is bad, mine's great, but there's, there's, there needs to be more contextual data. Yeah, there mine, needs to be more contextual Mine might data, make yeah. 70 million pound a year and yours might only make one, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Um, that's kind of... That there needs to be a bit more context around it, but maybe like a leaderboard or something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Like then you drive maybe efficiencies because people feel more I think some people competitive. in the past have tried yeah. to kind of gamify this, yeah. this kind of thing, right? Um, I'm not sure how widely it's... Yeah, maybe they all went under in the end. So maybe this is a really bad idea. Yeah, most <laughs> <terrible>. <laughs> all those companies... Are we're not going to leave and, and start no up in this, in this yeah, space. Yeah, exactly. No, I think I've got a funny feeling some people try to kind of gamify it. Um, but I, if I've... I'm vaguely kind of recalling something now where it was kind of like more around gamifying how much you saved on your infrastructure right. from a, like a, a percentage perspective. So it was rel relative yeah, to the amount that you were spending. That's quite um, good as well. But then the team that's already fully optimized, like... Yeah, then like, you've hit a, you've hit any, a wall. They're not getting any credit, right? Because yeah. they're at the bottom of the pile. Or maybe they started optimized. Yeah, that's what I mean. They just <laughs> yeah, built it great yeah, from the beginning, right? And then everyone's like, oh, we didn't get any credit. We've done yeah, you'd have right. to do a bad job, wouldn't you? You'd have to deliberately do a bad it's job. It's like someone yeah. told me the analogy the other day of like... Um, there's like a car crash, right? And there was a stop sign, but they ignored the stop sign and had the car crash, right? The guy that goes and rescues everybody from the car crash becomes the hero, right? But the guy that put the stop sign there, like, <laughs> you just forgot him, right? And that's like those guys, right? It is, it They're is, right at the bottom of the pile. Like, I did this right from the first place, but yeah. you're just ignoring me over here. Everyone's like, no one's interested in you. Like, <laughs> anyway. Yeah, but like, the guy that ran completely <laughs> badly in the first place. Yeah, let's go speak to those over there. Yeah. They're doing a really good job. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So maybe it's not a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Cool. It's great having you on. Um, is there any thing i guess in terms of like how people would contact you maybe um i don't know you guys hiring or anything like you want to yeah so you can reach out to me on twitter i'm at dean brian on twitter same on linkedin if people want to get me there um yeah that's probably the best place to to find me so um yeah if anyone wants to reach out dms are open just drop me a message if you're interested in talking about any topics um always interested to have a chat perfect cool well yeah thanks for coming on and uh yeah and just chatting basically with me about the industry so it's really good but yeah um, thanks for having me yeah cheers cool thanks everyone bye